Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. All right, meet me in Mark chapter 1, um, but you're also going to want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 40. As we get into week 4 of Advent, our Advent theme today is hope. We're going to be back and forth between these two texts, Mark chapter 1 and Isaiah 40. Now, before we get into the teaching, I want to give you guys a quick update. Last Sunday, we introduced our, uh, our Advent generosity campaign. We're partnering with World Relief, one of our local partners. We've been working with them. Uh, this fall in their warehouse, one of their big projects has been helping Afghan refugees resettle in the greater Sacramento area. They got a ton of donations. We've helped organize all of that for easier distribution. But one of their other big needs is just for uh, finances. Uh, many of these families will come to them and ask for a grant or a loan to help get into an apartment, to help furnish that apartment, to help stock their pantry, to help uh, pay for forms and, and job training and things like that. Very practical things. And we wanted to contribute to that fund this Christmas. One of the ways for us to be a light during this season, right? Our big Advent theme is light, the light coming into the world and then our call to reflect that light to others. And this is one way that we can do that uh, very tangibly. The offering has been open for about a week. We've already raised about $4,000, which is really, really cool. And this, again, is going to stay open through December 25th, so Christmas Day uh, we will close it down. But if you would like to do this, if you'd like to participate, go to our giving page. Again, webpage or app is the best way to, to access this. And there's two funds there. There's the general fund and there's the generosity fund. Choose the generosity fund. All monies donated to the generosity fund from December 11th through the 25th will go to World Relief and to helping Afghan families get resettled here in the greater Sacramento area. All right, would love for you to be a part of that with us. It's been really cool to see your generosity so far. So let's keep it up, Discovery. All right, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, if you are the, a certain type of person, if you are, say, a J in the Myers-Briggs personality world or a 1 on the Enneagram test, whatever you know, personality thing you might be into, if you're a certain type of person, you may have noticed that we've done the traditional Advent themes out of order. And maybe it's even kind of bothered you that we've done it the wrong way, right? We started with love, which is typically where you end, and we're ending with hope, which is typically where you begin. We've done this on purpose. We didn't mess up. We didn't make a mistake. This is very intentional because it felt really important. It felt really important to end 2021 with hope. We're ending with hope. Now, about two months ago, I started to notice something in my conversations with people. I started to know something even just in my own self. I was hearing a lot of, I'm really 
really tired. Like this is the first, second week of October. I'm just exhausted. Usually around that time, you know, in the fall, I hear things like I'm busy, things are crazy, all these great things are happening, my kids are back in school, um, involved in activities, whatever it is. Usually it's more about like all the stuff that's going on. But for the, fa- the past couple of months, I've heard over and over again, and again, sense this in my own self. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. The pandemic has has messed with our perception of time, right? And it's the kind of thing where it's like, you're trying to remember or recall when something happened and it's like, did that happen in March 2020 or March 2021 or yesterday, right? We have a hard time making sense of time right now. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is just the way in which 21st century American life is defined by speed. When you compare the way that we live with just about any other era of human history, we move, life moves way faster than at almost any other time in history, right? Faster, 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 speed, 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 the defining characteristic of our lives. Life does come at us fast, to paraphrase Ferris Bueller. (laughs) But then all of a sudden we have this moment in March 2020 where there's this massive slamming on of the brakes and then a year of life moving much slower than what we're accustomed to. And then this fall, we've ramped right back up to full speed. And in some cases, more than full speed. Why? Because we're making up for lost time. It's like we were all runners. And we were running 40 miles a week and we're running at eight minute mile pace. And then we take a year off from running. And then rather than ease back into it, we jumped into like, 50, 60, 70, 80 miles a week and and trying to do the same pace or even faster. Let's do seven and a half minute pace. And then we're all wondering, why are we so tired? Why do I feel exhausted? Now, exhaustion is a problem. It's dangerous for a whole bunch of reasons. Many of them, of course, physical. But there's also the truth, right? When I'm tired, at least, I don't make good decisions. My self-discipline goes way down. I'm not as good of a parent. I'm not as sharp of a leader. And then maybe most importantly, and the one we don't think about, I think, enough, is we become far more susceptible to spiritual attack when we are tired. Just one example. Think about the life of Jesus, right? Satan goes after Jesus when he is fasting and alone in the wilderness. When his, when his physical reserves are the most tapped out, he's the most tired that he probably ever was as a human being uh, during his time on earth. That's when Satan comes after him with these big temptations. Luke chapter 4 and, and, and some other places in the Gospels, right? He does not come after him after a good night of sleep and a big feast with his friends. He's alone, he's hungry, he's exhausted. We become more susceptible to spiritual attack in those moments. Now, what does this have to do with Advent? And what does this have to do with hope? Our relationship with time reveals what kind of story we imagine that we are in. It reveals who we think the hero of that story is, and it it reveals a lot about how we believe the story ends. Our speed and pace of life communicates a lot about where we place our hope. Or maybe the way we would say it here, who we put our hope in. Mark chapter 1. Mark is like the minimalist gospel. He just jumps right in. 
uh, right into the life of John the Baptist, who, according to verse 4, appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we're off and running with Jesus showing up by verse 9. Jesus fully grown, human being, ready to do ministry in verse 9. Not very much kind of Christmas story material in the Gospel of Mark. But we're here today because I don't want us to miss this quote from Isaiah. This quote that begins, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. This is from Isaiah chapter 40, which is a very interesting moment in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, by the way, actually the longest book in the Bible. It's massively important as it connects all the major themes and plot points of the story of Scripture. Now, a very simple outline of the story of Scripture goes like this. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You've probably heard me say that before. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? Creation, we see in Genesis 1 and 2, God's good world, everything as it should be, that Old Testament idea of shalom. Uh, From Genesis 3 onward, we see humans rebel against the shalom of creation, right? Tearing apart that goodness. We see this huge fallout that their sin has on humanity. They're banished from the garden, distant from God, broken relationships with each other, living under the weight of their sin and the specter of death, right? So creation, fall. But right away, even at the very beginning of the story, God has a plan of redemption, A plan of redemption. He chooses to begin this plan through a family, a family that grows in number and becomes known as the people of Israel. The people of Israel end up in Egypt. This is a good thing at first. They're saved from a famine. It turns into a bad thing when they become slaves there. And then, of course, God rescues them. One of the the big moments of the Old Testament is God rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. They come back to their land, they settle down, eventually they become a kingdom. It's a very dysfunctional, rebellious kingdom. And during the time of the kings, people called prophets start to show up telling the kings and the people of Israel, hey, get it together. You've gone off track. You, you need to get right or things are going to go very badly for us. We're going to lose everything, lose the kingdom, lose our land. This prophetic word, if, if we don't change our ways, we will be exiled, is a huge theme in the prophetic writings. And to be exiled was considered the worst possible thing, right? It's back to that banishment from the garden, back to slavery in Egypt. Now, here's what I want us to see. In the prophets, there's this interesting thing going on with time. There's a remembering Hey, remember who God is, what he has done for us in the past, rescuing us time and time again. There's a looking ahead, right? This is what God will do. This is what could happen. It could go this way or it could go this way in the future. And then there's this in the moment response. We need to repent. We need to change our ways right now and follow once again in God's good plan for us. Now, the ultimate example of this is the book of Isaiah. And we see these dimensions of time in chapter 40, but it also plays out over the whole course of the book. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are mostly those warnings about the future, right? All the things that will go wrong if they keep rebelling against God. But then there's this pause, like this hinge moment in the story. And and the pause is because the exile, it actually happens, right? All those warnings come true. They are exiled. And the final 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah are about the next future, After exile, what then? So chapter 40 is the beginning of this turn. And it's from this chapter in the book of Isaiah. As Isaiah begins to look to the future future, 
It's from that, that moment that Mark connects John the Baptist and the arrival of Jesus. We're now into the part of the story, redemption, and even looking further ahead to restoration. Isaiah 40 begins like this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. These words of comfort. You're in exile, you're far from home, but God is still with you. Then it goes into the voice in the wilderness. Again, something big is about to happen. Then Isaiah goes on for many verses, starting in verse 6, really all the way through the end of the chapter, talking about the greatness of God, the bigness of God, the vastness of God, but also about God's tender leadership, His shepherding, His care for His people. Here's how the chapter ends. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength? Not one is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those, here it comes, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. How many of you feel like, ooh, I could use some renewed strength? They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. These are beautiful and inspiring words. You can just imagine the poster of that eagle, right? (laughs) But here's the thing. Hope is not about inspiration. It's not about an emotional uplift. Hope is grounded in those prophetic dimensions of time, the past the present, and the future. And by the way, this is not like some cheesy analogy with the Christmas story and Scrooge or all of that. This is a deeply biblical, prophetic idea, what God has done in the past and in the present and will do in the future. Because God has acted in the past. Isaiah 40, 21 through 24 and 28, right? God has created. God has saved. We can look back and see what he has done, but he's also going to work in the future. And in Isaiah chapter 40, we see all these like future verb tenses, will, shall, get ready, prepare. God is going to do something. And then the present, this same God who acted in the past and who is going to act in the future, sustains the present, holds it all together, right? Knows even the stars by name, not one of them is missing. Now, how God does all this, there's a mystery to it that Isaiah says. Verses 12 through 14, verse 27, who can fathom this? Who can fathom this? But the work is happening. It is happening in the present. It has happened in the past. It will continue to happen in the future. Now, before we get all lost in time dimensions and the multiverse and all these things, what ties this all together, what ties this all together is the relational foundation of hope. 
What Isaiah is saying, what Mark is alluding to, is that our hope is not built on an idea or a theological system or some ideals. It's not grounded in our circumstances. It's, about, it's not about what we are experiencing in a particular moment. Our hope is relational and it is personal. Because this God is relational and personal. Right? It's, it's interesting, Isaiah chapter 40, which is about hope, right? It, really what it speaks to over and over again is just God, God's character, who God is. There's very little to say about the actual circumstances that the people hearing this would have been in. It's simply reminding them, this God is everlasting God, is creator God, is shepherd God. It is the God who does not grow tired or weary. And here's the thing. This God is knowable personally and intimately. And of course, for us, on the other side of all of this, 2,000 years after Mark chapter 1, we know that this God comes to us as a baby. This God takes his time growing up, learns how to, how to make chairs and things like that, then ministers for three years in this obscure part of the world. This God allows himself to be betrayed, to be put on trial, and to be executed by the human beings that he created. This God, who is able to be this vulnerable, is also powerful enough to overcome our rebellion, our betrayal, and the power of sin and death. And what Isaiah is saying, what Mark is saying, is our hope is in this God, this being, this Jesus who goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The time has come. It's in the present. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. No matter how fast life moves, the truth remains that God has acted in the past, in creation, in Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. God is acting in the present, strengthening us, holding it all together, not one star missing, and God will act in the future. This promise of future restoration. The kingdom has come, it is coming, and it will come. And I want us to end our time as a... Uh, as a church this year, but also in this Advent season, I want to end our time with this, this sort of meditation on the kingdom that will come. Right? Again, that our hope is not in things getting better in the moment, is not in our circumstances changing. Our ultimate hope is in this Jesus who has come and who is going to come back. Now, growing up, there were a lot of people who were really into like that comeback moment, right? Like uh, it's called end times uh, theology, theology used uh, loosely there, end time speculation. When is Jesus coming back? How will we know? How will Russia be involved? All these kinds of things were very widely discussed when I was a kid. Uh, in many ways, that movement has become a lot quieter and, 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 and kind of more off to the side within the church, and I think that's a good thing. But I think we've also lost our imagination for the truth that Jesus is coming back. And when we get caught up in the speed of our moment, the, the, the fast pace of life, we tend to lose sight of the larger scope of the story. We lose sight of the glorious future that awaits us. God's dwelling place. Look, Revelation 21, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things will have passed away. We have hope because we know how the story ends and it ends well. It ends good, which is how it began. It was good, it was good, it was good, and it ends good. Now to be clear, this does not mean that our lives will be easy. It doesn't mean that everything will work out in our favor. It does not mean that our moment won't be chaotic and exhausting and unprecedented. It means the end of the story. The real ending in the future is good. No more tears, sin, death, God dwelling with us, new heavens and new earth. We need to recapture our imagination for that glorious future. And we need to ground our hope in that vision of our glorious future and and not in our circumstances changing. Now, I love the way that C.S. Lewis ends the Chronicles of Narnia stories. These are words that I think help fuel our imagination for full restoration. Again, the glorious future that we know awaits us when Jesus returns. Here's how he ends the Narnia stories. He says for us, for the reader, this is the end of the stories, but we can trust We can truly say that they all lived, meaning the characters, they all lived happily ever after. But for them, for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I think this is such a great vision for us of what our future is. Every chapter better than the one before. This is important for us as we get ready for Christmas because we can rest. We can slow down. We can say no. To the overwhelming pace of our lives because we know how the story ends. And we know that that end is just the beginning. And we know the God personally who holds this all together. And so as we get ready for communion, as we come to the table, as we anticipate Christmas in just a few days from now, may we come and find rest in the God who was and is and is to come. I want to invite you to get your elements, whatever you have uh, with you this morning, representing the body and blood of Christ. I want to read to you, uh, read over you these words from 1 Corinthians 11, which give us instructions about how to partake in this meal that we call communion. And I want you to notice how the writer Paul ends this. He reminds us, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Wherever you are right now, take that bread, that cookie, that that cracker, whatever it might be. Take and eat Christ's body, which is for you, and do it in remembrance of him. 
In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink juice, wine, coffee, whatever you have in front of you this morning, remembering that this cup is the new covenant. Right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. But then look at how he ends this. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We will continue to gather to gather around the table to celebrate communion until Jesus returns. That is our hope. This is what we long for and what we look forward to. And it's this hope that helps us make sense of our present and live with confidence in our moment. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful that we, even in just our own experience, can look and see the ways that you have acted in the past. We can name, oh yeah, that was God's hand at work in my life. But not just personally, we can also look and see, oh, Jesus uh, came, was born as a baby, lived, grew up, uh, uh, started to minister, gave his life for us, overcame sin and death, through the power of his resurrection. We can look at these things in the past and see your hand in your work. And God, we also know your promises about the future. That you will come back, there will be full restoration, no more tears, no more pain, no more heartbreak. You're dwelling with us and us with you. God, may we hold those things together. Your work in the past, your promise of the future, may it transform our present moment. And allow us to be able to live in the presence, not caught up in the hurry and the, and the busy and, and the pace of life, but to live fully in the present moment, in the truth that we know you. God, if there's anybody watching today, listening today, who, who doesn't sense that they have that relationship with you, would you make yourself real to them? Would they commit themselves? to that relationship, opening themselves up to your work in their life, God. We pray that you would transform us, even today, even in this Advent season. Transform us more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus, so that we can know the good news and so that we can be the good news to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go out today with these words from the end of the story. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Happy Advent, everybody. Hope to see you on Christmas Eve. Grace and peace.